0: this is mike mcnamara and i'll be your host for the next two hours if you're a first-time listener you need to know what this show is about this is a call-in talk radio show we hope that you call us we don't give hot investment tips or predict where the stock market is going from here hot tips aren't a sensible way to invest your money and nobody knows where the financial markets are going We do talk about a wide range of topics related to personal finances, investments, and retirement planning. This is the important stuff. Major financial events and decisions you face in your life, birth of a child, death of a loved one, marriage, remarriage, divorce, college costs, retirement, changing jobs, living within your means, managing your debt, buying a home, refinancing, receiving an inheritance, investing, insurance, annuities. Second, you should know a little about me. McNamara Financial Services is a family business. The four of us are certified financial planner practitioners. We manage money for a fee. We provide retirement planning on an hourly basis for a fee to folks who need it. And we figure that's just about everybody. We always try to do what's best for our clients, and we're into long-term client relationships. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we might make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. This is the part where we have to say that investment returns are not guaranteed and that past performance does not guarantee future results. You probably know that, but we just wanted to make sure. So if you have a question for us, please give us a call at 781-837-4900. The only dumb question is the one that you don't ask.
1: to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Everyone had a great holiday. Um, we wanted to tie in today's content with the holiday just to be really, just to be cute about it. So we're doing a thanks and giving show. And I'm pretty sure Kirby did this last year.
2: Maybe.
1: Maybe the, the outline was a little bit different and the content was different, obviously. Right. Um but we wanted to talk about inheriting monies and leaving a legacy. So approaching inheritances from both angles, whether you're mm-hmm. the recipient or the one leaving the assets to someone, and I thought it was an appropriate time. So we've taught we've chatted. The first um, couple segments of the show, or the first hour, was focusing on if you're the recipient of dollars, so you're. Being thankful, we didn't actually mention that in the when we were talking about it. That to be thankful, oh, <laughs> but thank you. That was the whole premise of, of today's show: is yeah. that um, you're thankful right. for, um, you know, though it generally comes from an unfortunate event in the passing of someone, you're perhaps you know most likely thankful for um, receiving the answer. Certainly met lots and lots of people who you know an unfortunate thing. Happens, but can better their own financial situation certainly um, as a result. Which is, if I'm not mistaken, many parents' wishes, right? I mean, we work, we work with a lot of older people who are who are in this stage of life where they're um, not preparing for debt, but like, but they're positioning their assets and such, and they want right. to be able to care for their family even after they're not around. And so, um, it's certainly common for people to that you know that's what a lot of parents want for their kids although it's you know some parents or some clients certainly some clients we have are not concerned about their kids because their kids are successful themselves and a lot of you know parents will kind of joke oh they have more money than we do already right. and stuff like that but um anyway i digress we wanted to focus this segment on positioning your assets to leave a legacy or leave an inheritance to whether it's your kids or or whoever or nieces and nephews grandkids um anyone certainly that that is a loved one in that category so one of the things we do for our retiree clients is what we call income planning which well it's not that fancy of a term but it's just kind of a fancy term for like where do we where do you take your money from when you need money beyond social security and or pension where do you take your monies from so that you can meet your expenses and and live your life and hopefully enjoy your retirement. So income planning is just our our way of um, determining which account, if there are several, there aren't always several, but sometimes people have several different types of accounts from a tax point of view, um, where someone draws their regular income from or their annual, monthly or annual income. I often will say and I'm and, and and there's a lot of truth to this. There is there is almost always a difference between from a tax point of view what is best for the let's let's assume it's a retiree. What is best for the retiree during his or her lifetime from a tax point of view in terms of where to draw assets in an efficient way. And that's usually the exact opposite of what is best for their kids when their kids inherit monies, and I generally bring this up. I bring this up most frequently when I have a meeting with a client and they bring their adult adult kids with them, which happens frequently because, um, well, for whatever reason, there's, there's just a lot of parents that, you know, as they get older, they want their adult children to know what is going on in their financial life so that they can, you know, so that there is someone that's there that understands and, and has a relationship with their financial professional so that if they pass or if they can't make the, you know decisions anymore, then there's someone in the loop. So this is it's relatively common. Um, and so I, and I generally, you know, I pretty much always bring this up when we have these family meetings because if someone is coming into my office with their family, with their adult kids, I know that, and they're being very open about the amount of their assets and, and, and their whole financial picture, I know that that person is concerned about or prioritizes planning for the family, right? So someone that walks in, in by his or herself and maybe doesn't want their kids involved, which, you know, no judgment on our side of the table, you, you know, people have their own preferences about that, but there are sometimes when when adult parents, when, when parents don't want their kids involved in their financial life. And in that situation, I'm I'm planning just for that client, right? And we might have discussions beyond, but we're planning for that client. And it's just a little bit different from when someone walks in with their family because then I know that that planning or that, you know, that the financial picture is for the family and not just that one person. So I think that it just introduces a little bit of a different dynamic. Mm-hmm. So... If you think about a retiree while he or she is living, and what is best for them from a tax point of view in terms of where they draw their assets. So from a tax efficiency standpoint, the best place for us to take money from to supplement a retiree's fixed income is number one, a Roth IRA if they have one, because all dollars come out of that tax free. Number two, a non qualified or a non retirement account if they have one, because income, because dollars from that account, the sort of the worst tax consequence is capital gains rates, but it's not even fully taxed at capital gains rates because there's what's called, called return of uh, capital. You don't need to get too nerdy on that one, but that's a very tax efficient place to get right. money usually. And then the third place, or the worst place for us to get money for a retiree while he or she is living, is their retirement account because all dollars that come out of tax come out there is taxable at income rates. So, for that person while they're living, it makes sense for them to draw down either first or most heavily their Roth and then their non retirement and then their retirement. Right. But if you think about planning for the family versus planning for one person, It's pretty much the exact opposite. So what is generally best for the kids is that mom or dad draws down their retirement monies first. The
2: the taxable. Right. Pays
1: the taxes at their tax rate and then leaves the kids the non-retirement assets because we talked about how those get a step up in basis and are very tax efficient for the recipient and a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. So if if someone was to inherit a very small retirement account and a very large non-retirement and or Roth IRA account, that's best for that second generation that inherits the money, but it just happens to be the worst drawdown strategy, usually for the person while they were living. So that's what I mean, like it's the exact opposite. So when we're planning with someone, it's important to understand their priorities. So is, is their priority Reduction of taxes because they hate paying taxes, as everybody does, and they want to minimize their taxes due, and they want to preserve, um, you know, their assets in terms of nominal, va- you know, value as best as possible. That's sort of one strategy. And a whole another strategy is what's best, factoring in what's best not only for me but for my kids. You know, what's what's the priority? Because it's very different, and some, and, you know, oftentimes kind of go in the gray area because yeah. those are like those are two extremes and then but there's obviously um the gray area and you sort of and you do a little bit of both
2: right yeah i think yeah and i think we in general i think we usually end up somewhere in that in the middle ground there where we take a little bit of each yeah just because you know we don't know the future We you know we don't know the future tax situation you know we don't know if they're going to change tax codes right. you know, we only know what we know today um and we don't want to we don't want to exhaust somebody's, um, you know, one of their accounts versus the other ones because then, then we're then we're then we're definitely limited in the future. Right. Um, so if we kind of um, we generally
1: balance it out anyway. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Balance it out a little bit just because we think, you know, in general, that's this kind of the safest thing to do, and it kind of preserves some of that flexibility um, for, for down the road.
1: Right. And so we touched earlier on the show about taking advantage of. Of tax brackets, and this sort of plays in here in that. Like I said, when 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 you're when you're income planning for a family of multiple generations, which you don't have to do. This is completely personal preference. When you're income planning for the the entire family, like we said earlier, oftentimes the the matriarch or patriarch of that family the the oldest person with the assets that we're that we're talking about right now oftentimes that person is in a lower tax bracket than their adult kids because their adult kids are still working that you know they're in their highest income earning years and, and a retiree likely has lower needs and isn't you know their taxable income might be lower than their adult kids just based on you know just situationally dependent so if you think of it in that regard, taxes are gonna be paid at some point. They're either gonna be paid by the, the retiree parent during his or her lifetime, or they're gonna be paid by the kids when they inherit the dollars, or maybe they're gonna be paid by the grandkids when if it gets to the next generation. But taxes are gonna be paid at some point, and if you're family planning, then you might decide to take advantage of the retiree's lower tax bracket if that's the case. I mean. You know, looking at the, the tax brackets changed for this calendar year but looking at you know tax brackets for um, a married couple let, like let's say a retirees adult um, a kid is married um, and let's say that they make good money and their income is over three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars they're in the 32 percent tax bracket and let's contrast that just as an example but you can contrast that with someone a retiree for example Maybe they are living on Social Security and they have very uh, minimal needs. Plus, now a twelve thousand dollars standard deduction. And if they're not drawing much out of retirement accounts, if they're single and their income is less than thirty-eight thousand dollars taxable income, which would factor in a standard deduction, so their real income could be more than that. But if they have modest expenses and you know they could be in the twelve percent tax bracket, and so that's a twenty percent difference between a 12% tax bracket and the 32 if, if their adult kids if they were married and they made good money or even if they were single and they made great money. Um, so that's that's what we meant by sort of taking advantage of tax brackets in in, in the world of paying taxes, you want to pay taxes at the lowest bracket possible. And this is just an example of in a perfectly legal manner, <laughs> taking you know taking advantage of taking potentially uh, you know distributions from the retirement monies of again that older retiree and paying taxes at a lower bracket of course you have to bear in mind how much you draw and and and, you know whether or not that bumps you to another bracket but it you know you can sort of take advantage of getting money on a retirement account and paying a lower amount of taxes on it and preserving non-retirement accounts that they exist for the next generation so that's just a that's just a legacy planning option, but again, it completely differs from tax efficiency planning in your own life, not factoring in the next generation. And so just make sure you discuss with your financial professional what is most important to you. Mm -hmm. And if preserving assets or leaving efficient assets um, to your beneficiaries is important to you, then it's just something to discuss. On that note, we want to talk about beneficiary designations. Yes. Because talking well, about,
2: yeah, positioning, yeah, positioning yeah. for the next, yeah.
1: I mean, we, we several years ago, we didn't do this forever as long as I've been at McNamara Financial, which is now 15 and a half years, which is crazy and makes me feel <laughs> older than I feel physically. But um, oftentimes in our world, so it's retirement accounts, back up a moment. Retirement accounts, by nature of the fact that they're retirement accounts, they have beneficiaries associated with them. So when you open up a 401k for your company or an IRA, on the application or on the website where you're opening it up, you're going to be asked who you want to name as beneficiaries. If you don't name anyone, your estate is the default beneficiary, and then the intestate laws in your state would, would control who receives those assets. But most people name a beneficiary. It's usually their spouse if they have one. If not, it's their kids in equal property. In um uh, percentages or actually we can talk about that in a minute but um oftentimes people will name a beneficiary and then if they have that account open for 10 or 20 years they might never they again about yeah, look about at that yeah. beneficiary we got in the habit probably eight or ten years ago if not longer of you know in our annual review meetings with clients reminding them of how their beneficiaries read because sometimes people do estate planning or someone passes or someone has a new you know, a new kid new or child, a grandkid. Uh-huh. And so beneficiary designations are, should be fluid, right, and right. change as your life changes and as your wishes change. And, um, and you should revisit those regularly. That goes for life insurance as well, by the way. Um, and beneficiary designations supersede a will. So that confuses people. Sometimes people say, well, I don't need to do that. It says in my will who I want my assets to go to. Or, I, or they might say, it says in my trust who I want my assets to go to. Beneficiary designations on retirement accounts supersede both of those documents, right. will and any and an trust.
2: And the other point to that is if if they're not naming somebody because they want their will to handle it, that's great, but it's gonna go through probate and it's gonna take a year plus for it to end up wherever it's going.
1: Right, and they would have to name their estate as beneficiary instead of naming that, that right. person. I mean, the, the beauty of a beneficiary designation is that it doesn't go through probate. Beneficiaries step into the assets it, relatively immediately as soon as the, the paperwork is done and the logistics are complete um, but it's nice in that regard but your will does not control your beneficiaries of your retirement accounts or your life insurance by the way unless you name, li- unless you name your estate. Mm-hmm. We catch a lot of if, I guess I will say errors if, with if, with if regard- if yeah, yeah, and and so sometimes, we're not turning. Sometimes these errors are they were intentional but but people might not quite understand or or comprehend the ramifications of certain beneficiary designations so one thing to consider is if you and this is one i hear very frequently someone might say uh or i might ask them who who would you like to name as beneficiary of your account maybe they have two kids mm-hmm. and they might say uh, well i'm going to name my daughter and, because i know that she'll give half of it to my son right? Maybe they just, they think it'll be easier or for whatever reason. I hear that all the time or some variation of that. When you're naming a beneficiary on a retirement account, you have to remember that it's a retirement account. And as we talked about, taxable as dollars come out. So if you have a $500,000 retirement account and you name your one child as beneficiary and you trust that that child is going to give half of it to your other child upon your death, I'm sure that person is trustworthy and would follow in, and would do that if that those were your intentions. However, the adverse tax consequences mm-hmm. to do that are um, much less than ideal. So in, in order for, if you were to do that and one child steps into an inherited IRA of that $500,000 and they're trying to give 250,000 of it to their sibling, you cannot just cut a retirement account and give it to someone. In order for that, that child to do it, they would have to distribute 250,000, pay taxes but at income rates on 250,000, and either give the net proceeds to their sibling or pay those taxes out of their own cash flow, which right. they certainly wouldn't want to do. Right. Because taxes on 250,000 could be $50,000 or more and, and you want to make sure that that one child doesn't have that tax liability because they were trying to do the right thing. Right. So, I mean, and even if you're talking about small dollars, it's, even if you're talking about $5,000, it's just still a little bit messy. So, number one, from an in- income tax point of view, that is not a good plan. So, just name the actual people so that one child doesn't have those adverse income tax consequences and the other... Component is gift taxes, which we haven't touched on at all today. But but there we're saving that. We're we are saving yes, we're saving that for our next segment. But there are potentially also adverse tax consequences to give large amounts of money to anyone. So in that example, not a good plan for a variety of reasons. Well,
2: and a couple of things is you know you name. Let's say you name Susie. You know you got two kids. You name Susie, hundred percent and you pass away and susie's in legal trouble or susie's got a lawsuit Fair against enough. her yep. and now bobby's uh you know half, yeah it goes goes to susie's lawyers and, right um, or to
1: her ex-husband if they are right. getting divorced right. half of it could be scooped up in a divorce yeah so there there's a, it just
2: there's a, there, yeah a lot of times you know there are too many assumptions and there are too many things that can that can go wrong um with that kind of, you know with that kind of stuff it
1: is not a clean
2: so, Beneficiary so you know, is it, it? It might seem like a pain, you know, to be constantly changing them or worrying about them, but we think it's worth it. Um, you know, to be, re, you know, at least looking at them, you know, once a year yep. uh, or or some frequency, reevaluating does it still make sense based on people's situations, uh, all those things. Yeah. Um. What was the other one? Oh, minors. Yes. Oh, minors, minors. Yeah. Um. You know for another example is maybe a younger family you know say say the adults you know the parents are maybe in their you know 30s or 40 you know whatever where they have young kids yeah. and so if they name you know say they name their spouse as their primary beneficiary and then they name their children as you know contingent beneficiaries but if the children are you know if they're six months old yeah you know ten years old um you know any any age where they're not you know capable of managing money or you know on their own um you know if you just name them as an outright beneficiary that's that money's gonna go to them and they can do whatever they want with it um and so you know you know as we'll say a million times we're not attorneys, but we would often tell tell those you know young family members to consider maybe maybe opening up you know creating a trust with an attorney um you know that would you know. Hold those assets for the kids, and then there would be a trustee—you know, somebody of age, uh, you know, um, you know, with their best interest in mind—that will yeah. uh, help manage the money for them. Um, so that's another one that we often see is you know somebody naming their, you know, very young child as yeah. a beneficiary. And I
1: mean, in in if if a young child was to inherit monies via besi- via designation, a beneficiary designation, until they were. The age of majority, I get confused because there's sort of two ages of majority in Massachusetts, but I believe it's until they're 18. A financial custodian would be named, and but if they're over 18, they would step into the assets outright and could do whatever they want with the assets, and in, in for. You know, I don't have 18-year-old children, but I'm imagining that most 18-year-olds aren't as responsible with money as most 38-year-olds, for example. So an 18-year-old is still, in many people's eyes, um, a child from a responsibility point of view, mm-hmm. perhaps with managing finances anyway. I'm certainly not implying anyone's 18-year-old is irresponsible in any other regard, but from a managing money point of view, um, you know, impulsive. We talked about not being impulsive earlier. And probably a higher probability of impulsiveness. Uh, impulsiveness is that a word? Mm-hmm. Taking place uh, w- with inheriting large chunks of money. Um, but if but if a child under the age of majority inherits assets, a financial custodian would be named. How, I, what I'm a little what I am unclear of though, and an estate plan, when we have our estate planning show, we'll have to get this question answered too. Is What's the, who's the default custodian, right? I I don't know if it's the person that they might have named in the will. You know, if there's a will and a financial custodian yeah. is named, perhaps is it, is it, is it that person? Yeah, yeah like, it could be a judge, yeah. right? In in if there was no legal document or there was no will, a judge could be. Or, you know, people can apply for guardianship. I know legal guardianship, probably financial custodianship. So, um, you know that that's you know, the, the, but but your point is a really good one and that, you know, an 18 or a 20 or even a 25 year old, you know, that a lot of people might still think that's too young to be controlling finances, again, depending on the size of the potential inheritance you're talking about. So that might not be a great planning tool, you know, another reason that people take advantage of trusts of the revocable type, revocable living trusts are sort of, you know, you know, you'll hear the term like control beyond the grave, and some people do estate planning because they want to be able to control beyond the grave uh-huh. what happens with their assets after their death. And you know, you you could, um write things into the trust, like you know, they receive X percent of the assets at this age, and another X percent at this age. And, you know, there's there's more ways to sort of maybe force that responsibility on on someone. Um, so that, that is a, you know, one of the discussions we have with clients is, well, if you, have, if you have had a trust prepared by an attorney, first of all, what type of trust is it, and does that attorney recommend that you change your beneficiary designation on your retirement plans as a result? Sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes it's no. It just depends on the circumstances. Um, but one, I will say, one of the most common mistakes that I see people make from an when, when they do estate planning is that they don't um, sort of close the loop or follow through so I believe and this probably is not a blanket statement but I've seen many attorneys estate planning attorneys when they um, if they draft a trust for someone or if they prepare legal documents with someone they usually you know deliver it like a bind, like a beautiful binder or a folder or something you know, so there's this nice delivery and there's oftentimes, like a cover letter with instructions to the client that says, you know, enclosed, please find all these things. Mm -hmm. And here's what you need to do. I don't know the statistics, but I am telling you, it (laughs) has to be less than 50% of the time after delivery that client reads the letter and actually does what they're supposed to do. And Kirk, we are examples of that because I don't actually think we ever did every single thing that we were supposed to do after we did the estate planning. You know, mm. retitling this asset, retitling that asset. Part of it was like retitling bank accounts. And I think so we did the
2: major stuff, but yeah, I don't think we did everything. Yeah, yeah, and
1: and and it's it's very frequent. I met with a family the other day, and we were having this conversation about you know family income planning, but we were also having conversations about, well, mom did this estate planning years ago, and. Um, you know, she had a trust drawn up and I looked at her assets and she had a non-retirement account. It wasn't a trust.
2: Was or was? It was not. not.
1: And so they, there was a trust drawn up, but never funded. And I said, I'm pretty sure if you go home and you pull out that binder or that folder from the attorney, there's going to be a letter either on top or somewhere right there that says, you know, retitle this asset into the trust or, you know, fund the trust in this way. And, and I just, unfortunately i think there's a, there's a lot of times when that those follow-up steps don't get followed up on mm-hmm. and i you know a, a, a large uh, re, a significant reason for that is probably that the person that the client didn't understand what they were supposed to do and you know, i read that letter and while it makes almost perfect sense to to you and to me or or most of it makes sense anyway it might not make sense to the lay person that doesn't you know, that is not in our world every day. Um, and so that, you know, one of the biggest mistakes people make is that they do estate planning and then they don't implement their estate plan. So just having signed those documents with regards to a trust, for example, um, doesn't mean that you funded a trust. You have mm-hmm. to go through and fund the trust. If, if you're supposed to, you might have to change beneficiaries on retirement accounts. I'm going off on a huge tangent here, by the way, um, but I get I get a little bit um I don't know. I get like a little. I get. I get um not frustrated. That's not the right where I get worked up about it because I because I I feel sad for these people that they in a, and luckily you know in in these the situations I can think of we're talking about it like before it's too late but right. you know they haven't passed they, yet but there I mean, there's they, still time but I guess yeah. I get
2: they spent a lot you yeah you know they spent some good money you know yeah creating these documents and then if they don't actually do the right thing, they're, they're, the they're, they're, yeah. not effective.
1: Potentially wasted. I mean, well, I mean, your you know, your will is your will and that's written and that was signed and, and right. a lot of those documents, you know, different answer for some of those documents, but with regards to a trust, there's generally things that happen as a or are supposed to happen as a follow up. And unfortunately I don't think that that's the case frequently. I just meet a lot of people that haven't followed up with their estate plan, perhaps through no fault of their own. Um, forgot or they didn't understand or whatever. So anyway, if you if you did a trust and you didn't read through that letter and, and do all the things you were supposed to, pull that document out. Um, do that as a Christmas present to yourself and make sure you, you followed up on, on what that attorney asked you to do. Also someone if you need help. All right, so that was positioning of assets for leaving a legacy. We, we didn't touch on, maybe at the beginning of, after this quick break, we could touch upon uh, asset protection. Mm-hmm. We didn't really touch on that. We could do that relatively quickly and then sort of talk about some charitable giving on the giving side as well. So, happy Thanksgiving weekend, everyone. I hope you had a great holiday. We were talking about thanks and giving today, so receiving an, uh, inheritances and preparing assets for or, or an heir to leave to someone or, or gifting. And I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money, joined this morning by my husband, Kirk Reed. Um, this is great. We're spending all this time together over the holiday weekend doing the radio show together, Um, it's all good things. So we will take a break. We'll come right back. We'll finish up our last segment on thanks and charitable giving, and we'll be right back.